Hi, and welcome to The Rock's Podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, I welcome you back to your seats, and now we get resettled and refocused. It's time to dive in to God's Word and see what He has for us this week. Let's pray. Father, if ever there were a service where we need to remember your death on our behalf and the cleansing work of the power of the blood of Christ, it would be this passage that convicts us so much. Lord, about what true greatness is all about is not climbing the ladder to gain honor for ourselves, which has just come so natural and easy for us to get so exalted with pride, but rather, Lord, true greatness, as you will teach and confront us once again, is to take the ladder downward, to be humble and to be meek and to be other-centered, to make ourselves the servant of everyone. It's just so difficult, Lord, and so we're glad for the correction and we're glad for the comfort of the blood of Christ, which cleanses us and renews us and transforms us in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed there's an overarching theme in Mark chapter 10 where we've been hanging out for four or five weeks. Now, let me show you what I mean here. So what I call Christian Discipleship 101, Mark chapter 10, there are five basic accounts. They're all different, but they have the same theme. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but discipleship, of course, means the discipline of the Christian life. So if anybody's in Christ, they're new creations. The old is past, the new has come. Discipleship is training us up, correcting us out of the old way, the old values, the old worldview, the old way of thinking, the old way of acting, the old way of responding and living to Christ new way, the new life that's bubbling up out of our hearts and lives. That's called discipleship, uh, the training of God's followers, right? And so there are five um, examples of what's going on, what, what should be the new worldview, the new value in Mark chapter 5. Let me just, uh, 10. There are five of them in chapter 10. There we go. Uh, all right, so marriage, the Christ, the Christ follower in marriage. Uh, the Pharisees are like, can we just get divorced for any old reason? Right, because the world says, hey, you know, maybe it's not that serious of a commitment. But disciples, man, Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no one tear apart. And then it does, doesn't surprise me that let the little children come to me and hinder them not appears right after that encounter. 
because the sanctity of marriage and the sanctity of life. And in the one hand on marriage, in the hand of marriage, there are guys who say it's insignificant, insignificant. Oh, no, not to the Christ follower, significant. And then in the next story, insignificant, insignificant, keep the kids away. Oh, no, 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 that's important. So disciples value life starting with the kids, and they're not disposable, and there's a whole host of implications there. And I'm saving that for Baby Dedication Sunday. I know maybe some of you noticed, maybe you didn't, that we kind of uh, leapt over that passage. Well, I'm, I'm saving it. All right, and then the third one was lordship last week, where you know the world says it's all about money will solve all your problems, and Jesus confronts us and says the disciple doesn't serve two masters. He makes up his mind that I'll serve God and not money, and so there's bounds to the Christian disciple. See, it's all about how to live as a Christian. So he says, you can't serve God in money. And then number four is today, servitude as a way to greatness. To be great in God's eyes is to be the servant of all, quite opposite in the world's way of thinking. And that's why we need to be discipled. Coming up next week will be, uh, we value our commission or we're missions minded. That the goal and agenda of every Christian life is not to serve ourselves, but we will see the blind man, blind Bartimaeus, who the crowd says, shh, be quiet. Something important is happening. Jesus is passing by, and he, Jesus, rebukes them and says, excuse me, that's why I've come to take people who are needy out of darkness and bring them into light, and then he commissions us as disciples, that people who are in darkness, who are in need, are not troublesome. They're the objects of our ministry and our very lives. So with that context, it's time to dive into a rather challenging new worldview for disciples, and that would be the one of serving our way to greatness. All right, so with that, let me, you can... Uh, move on to the text. Let me preface this by saying that it's a stunning, soul-shattering truth we're going to now read about how God defines human greatness. And he's going to show us how ugly it can be when we're all about ourselves. And here's the story. It's a pretty well-known one. Then James and John, the sons of thunder, as they were called, the sons of Zebedee, by birth, came to him, teacher. They said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, that's trouble right there. <laughs> what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Uh, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? Can you do what I'm going to do? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with, the cross? We can, they answered rather quickly. Jesus said to them, well, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Great answer. 
Verse 41, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as the rulers of the world out there, the Gentiles, they lord it over them, abuse them with their power, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of everyone. For even I, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Lord of glory, didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Just kind of switch the voice there to bring some clarity. And so that can remain up and let it kind of sink into where we're going well, well, well. To give a, a fresh twist to a famous line from Forrest Gump, allow me. <laughs> ugly is as ugly speaks. And that's the thing about our words. Our words reveal what's really going on inside our hearts. And in this case, something very, very nasty. It's called pride. It's what turned a perfectly good angel into the devil himself. So we have to be on guard because God opposes the proud. There's one way to get God to oppose you. It's to think too much of yourself. But he gives grace to those who humble themselves. So that's kind of the overview here. Now, selfish ambition, that's what we're talking about. It's that desire to get to the top at any expense, you know, to be acknowledged, to be recognized, to be applauded, to have the seat of honor, to be me first, to exercise authority over others, which in itself is kind of necessary sometimes, uh, but it's done with an attitude that's self-serving, to gain for oneself instead of to help others, to build others up, to serve others with the God-given authority that we have been given. So in God's eyes, to cut to the chase, the greatest person is the person greatest at serving others. And so we're going to take a look at this now. There's three. This sermon is brought to you by the letter I. All right? <laughs> there, I needed three I's, so here's the first one. First, we have the icky request. All right? Um, and I wanted ugly request, but, you know, I needed an I. So I went with icky. All right? And, and you will see how icky it icky can be. <laughs> The icky request is going to be followed by Jesus' intriguing response. Very intriguing. And then finally, we'll wrap up with the irony, <laughs> the ironic moral of the story. The way up is the way down. Now, first, the context, which is going to up the ugly factor of what James and John has, uh, have outed themselves with, it's going to just uh, amp up the awfulness of this request. It'll be ugly times a thousand when you see the context. 
And if you've been paying attention, you think I skipped over something. I didn't. Here's the context. Because when Jesus is done saying the words you're about to hear, the next verse is, then James and John said. Okay? So here's what prompted them to say, hey, what about us? We're going to get the honored seats in heaven? All right? First, this happened. They're on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. The, the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Something ominous was going to happen in Jerusalem. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to them. We're going to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man, a favorite title of himself. And I'll explain that. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the, the people trying to kill him. They will condemn, he's saying me, they will condemn me to death and hand me over to the Romans who will mock me, spit on me, flog me, and kill me. Three days later, he will rise. And then James and John said, hey, can we sit on your left and your right in glory? How about the honor for us? Oh, wow. That just put the ooh in ugly, <laughs> or the uh, getting ugly. That's as ugly as it gets. Amen? So we'll leave that up there for a minute to let you, the context kind of soak in. So Jesus is uh, three times, this is the third and final one, have, have warned them quite specifically where they're going, Jerusalem, is Passover time. The crowds are Passover crowds. And what he's going to do there by his own intention Lest they think, oh, the bad guys are winning. Oh, no. Jesus says, no, no, no. God is winning, but it involves the death and burial and raising up of the Messiah so that your sins can be paid for. That's the part they can't hear. They don't understand it. And they know something big is coming up. They're afraid. They're astonished. Why? Because Jesus is out front, and it says his face Facing Jerusalem like a flint. It just means hard as a rock. Just to say, no temptation, no devil in hell. Nothing is going to stop me until I suffer this baptism. He called it this flood of suffering, the cross. Until I get that done, he says, I'm distressed, man. I've got to get to the cross and do my job to serve, right? And so it's in this context of him saying, I'm going to be mocked. They're going to spit in my face, brothers. They're going to flog me. They're going to kill me. And, and James and John pipe up. First of all, we want you to say yes to whatever we're about to say. Okay? They're going to say, say yes. Just so you know, we want you to say yes to whatever follows here. That's after they're going to kill me, flog me, spit in my face. Uh, now, we want you to say yes. Okay? We want the top positions of honor in the kingdom to come. Over these 10, over everyone at the rock, over everybody who's ever been saved from Genesis to Revelation, we want you number one, of course, and me and my brother, two and three. To sit on someone's right was number one. And I'm sure James and John kind of probably arm wrestled out or flipped a coin who was going to get the right and who was going to get the left, which was number two, right? 
But above all of humanity, we want the paparazzi of heaven to be aimed their cameras at me and my brother. This on the very words that God in a body, which he's been saying he's God, is going to lay down and let guys spit in his face. He says, nobody takes my, my life. This is the plan. I came to lay it down. That's what a good shepherd does. He lays down his life for the sheep. And in that context, all they can think about is themselves. And let me just say this. <laughs> and we, we are uh, un- underway, so you might as well put the ugly on there up close. Get your spiritual hazmat suits on. Uh, all right. So the first part of the, the verses. The next slide. Thank you. No. The verses. Thank you. Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, come and they do their deed. They want the glory and they don't care what Jesus just said. Let me, now in spite spite of what you just heard, is this uh, self-absorbed request. Let me contemporize it a bit. So maybe we could feel what Jesus felt a little bit. Uh, It would be like you saying, hey, I just lost my job. And somebody saying, uh, hey, I I would love to have that job. Could you put in a good word for me? (laughs) Right? What kind of uncouth beast, socially speaking, are you? Right? I just found out I I have cancer. Who's going to get that nice house? What's your pretty wife going to do? Are you kidding me? That's kind of what it is. My wife and I just filed for divorce and then comes back the answer. Well, you know, could you watch our kids while we go to Hawaii for a romantic getaway? Self-absorbed people are numb to everybody else around them. All they care and care about is me, myself, and I, right? That's how divorces happen. Who cares if we destroy the children God gave us who look like us? As long as I get that new exciting relationship that I just met at the gym, how could you not feel anything for those little kids? The same way that the Son of God could say, I'm going to be flogged. And they say, well, what about us in the spotlight? on us. That's how it happens. Trace back any evil thing in the whole world and you'll find self-centeredness. And you think I'm making this up? Now you can go to James chapter three. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility. That's how wise people live, humbly. That comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, there it is, self-centeredness, me, myself, and I. It's all about me. If you harbor that in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny it. Such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now check this out. Oh, memorize this line. For where you have envy, which they have, and selfish ambition, which is the definition right there of being self-absorbed, all you can think about is your own personal gain. 
There you will find, the word there means chaos and every evil practice. So the Bible is saying self-centeredness is the root of every wicked, poisonous thing that can ever happen in the entire world. It'll always come down to thinking too highly about yourself. We were not designed to do that. We were designed like Christ. We, were sh we should be all about the other person. That's what he says. And so, so he says, I'm going to die a torturous death. And they say, can me and my brother uh, be honored in the life to come. And so I just say, no encouraging words for Jesus, no like pause, no like feeling what? You know, you can go back to the verses there. No, let's pray. Jesus flogged. They're gonna kill you. Nothing for him. All about me and my brother. And the guys aren't indignant that they didn't show the proper response to their Lord. They're indignant that they beat them to the punch because they're guilty of the same thing. We've seen it all over the Bible. And they're not done yet. This argument is going to break out at the dinner table on the Last Supper. They're going to do it all again. This whole conversation is going to be repeated. So, yeah, it's terrible. And so... Their response is ignoble, but Jesus' actions are regal, and he's out in front leading the way. Let's take a closer look at this. So the first thing I want you to see is the immaturity, the genie in the bottle trick, you know. Out pops Jesus, and they say, hey, first of all, you know, um, promise us something. Promise us something. Okay, promise us something. Just like little kids. You know, just uh, I just want you to know I'm going to ask you something, but I want it to be yes. I want it to be yes, okay? I want it to be yes. That's what they're doing here. That's crazy. And a lot of Christians, there's an entire movement that does that. This is what I want, and I'm going to faith you into making it happen for me. Tell me I don't have to deal with this problem. Tell me I don't have to. I'll just have the, enough faith to, to make it go away. And God wants me always happy, always healthy, always wealthy, right? No. But that's what I'm kind of saying, hey, I'm going to ask you something, but I know you're going to say yes. You're going to say yes. And then it comes this. Who's the we? Who's the we? Sons of thunder, James and John. But hold on. There's more. Now, listen. They want to be recognized in and of itself, acknowledging somebody for a job well done, noticing somebody, telling somebody, giving them a compliment is, is all well and good. And it feels good to us. And it's proper to be acknowledged by somebody else. For example, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, acknowledge those who work hard among you in the Lord, serving the church. Acknowledge them. There's a place for that, right? Give honor to, to whom honor is due, Romans 13. Nothing wrong with acknowledging somebody. Even uh, Proverbs 31 says about the virtuous woman, give her the praise she deserves. Let her kids rise up and sing her praises as it is there. Nothing wrong with that. And doesn't it feel good? Yes, but it should be somebody else who is ringing the bell, 
and shining a light and, and giving you the applause. We work to sort of avoid that unnecessarily. There's nothing wrong with receiving it when you're not manipulating it to happen. When that's what you're thinking and that's the purpose of the Facebook post and then you obnoxiously check it every second of the day to see how many likes you get. That's a problem. That's a problem, and it's in all of us. There's nothing wrong with calling somebody out and saying, man, look at that guy. You know, he may be embarrassed, but it feels good, and it's proper, and you should do it. It's just when the guy is manipulating it, you know, like the Pharisees, they blow a trumpet before they go to the tide box, and, 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 and they make sure they put in coins instead of envelopes, so you can hear the ching ching, you know? Oh, I didn't know it was so loud. That. No worries, it's just me giving my big offering. You know, it's that kind of thing. The Pharisees would stop it. Nine, 12, and three, wherever they are or were, and they would stop and bow their heads and they would pray with these tassels. The tassels were to kind of guide them in their prayers. But the longer the tassels, the more your prayers. So they, Jesus said, you guys are so perverted. You guys make your, your tassels long so people will see, oh, what a godly man that is because he has such long tassels and he's praying for everybody. And they weren't. Everything Jesus said in Matthew 23, everything they do is for show so people will notice and acknowledge and think more of them than they ought. That is what James and John are doing when they get their mom to ask the question, oh, you didn't know that. Matthew. Matthew's verses. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, asked a favor of him, what is it that you want, he asked. She said... Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. They're on board. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can. They answered, just so you know. So is there a, a, some sort of uh, contradiction? Not at all. The Holy Spirit is indicting the brothers by dropping the incidental mom because it's their idea. So the mom's incidental. Matthew just says the, the, the fact is is that the mom was involved, that the boys got the mom involved because they, they know we can't ask him. The Proverbs say, let someone else praise you, not your own mouth. So let's get mom to do it because... Matthew tells us a few things. Matthew, Mark, and John see three women at the cross. Let me tell you who their mama is. Matthew says the third woman is the mother of these boys, the sons of Zebedee. She's godly and faithful. She's a beautiful woman of faith because she's at the cross when the disciples are gone. So she's a woman of faith, the mom. Mark calls her Salome. 
So now we know this beautiful woman of faith has a name. Her name is Salome, and she's the mother of James and John. John tells us something new. Salome is the mother of Mary, Jesus' mother. So let's get mom. She's Jesus' aunt by blood. Let's get mom to do it. After all, Jesus, your mom by human nature, he's born of a woman. He's one of us. That's why he keeps calling himself, I'm the son of man. Daniel chapter 7 looks up to see God. And he says, I see someone like a son of man. It means a human. Like, what, why am I seeing someone born of a woman? That's because that he's seeing Christ. So Jesus is born of a woman. He's fully human being. And his mother, Mary, conceived of the Holy Spirit. That's fully God, fully man. The God-man is born of Mary, who happens to be sisters to James and John's mother. James and John's mother. So let's use A, she's godly. <laughs> B, we can't do it. It's too obvious. C, she's auntie. We're going to pull the, the, the family card. You know, it's like sort of being around a millionaire. You get crazy sometimes. You just get crazy. And who, whoever wants attention never has enough. And these guys want attention. Now, uh, one writer said, mom, mom, mom. Didn't say mom, mom, mom. But, you know, says, Christian parents, bring out the best in your children. You're called to correct and rebuke them for self-centered ambition to use that and never to use them for your own desires to gain any glory for yourself. Commentators say, give her a pass and just say, she's a mom. She just kind of got sucked into it. It's the boys. The boys are using that card. But what if mom said, mom, Come on, he's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about the end. He's talking about the throne. He's talking about the end of the world. Mom, just kind of, we want to be there. We want to be next to him after all these years. Just ask, just secure, come on. She could have said, I didn't raise you like that. If your father heard you say that, you'd break his heart. That's not what our family's about. You get that silly idea out of your heads. He just told you he's going to die. And all you boys are thinking about is that. You boys, come on. Huh? She couldn't. She shouldn't. So Jesus is going to model here as we move on. We're called to imitate God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Have you ever just saw that verse? <laughs> Ephesians 5, 1. Imitate God. <laughs> That's it. All, all our answers solved. Imitate God, right? So look at him. Does he lose patience? Does he uh, publicly humiliate them? No dramatic. How could you, after all of these years, not be attentive to my needs? Did he take three months off because he got his feelings hurt? No. Nor does he cut him off. You know what? He's going to let him play the game. Hey, promises something? Promises something? You know, he's looking at him like, you think I'm going to write you a blank check right now when you're so out of tune and out of touch? No. What is it that you want? You know? 
Why does he want them to say? He could have said, just shut this down right now. Oh, no, he wants the nastiness to come out. He wants to draw it out into the light. And that's what God always does. That's why it says your sins will find you out. Not because, oh, so God can bring down a thunderbolt. No. In, in New Testament thinking, God wants to chastise away and cleanse away. And he allows things to come out into the light so the light of Christ can shine on those things. You can correct them and you can deal with them that way. It's not very pleasant, but he's going to set the hook. So they say, promise us something. Promise, promise, promise. And he says, what do you want? He set that hook right in the jaw, opened up so that nasty, unclean raven that's been hiding in there comes fluttering out in all its kind, creepy, crying terribleness and says, we want top billing in heaven above the whole universe. You and us together will rule the world. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Okay, and so... The abyss opens up. The unclean bird is out. You could hear a pin drop just like a few seconds ago. And now Jesus is going to give us an intriguing response, isn't he? So he says in 38 through 40, you guys don't have a clue what you're asking me. Can you do the work I'm about to do? We can, they said. <laughs> Jesus said, well, you are going to suffer, but to sit at my right or left, uh, actually, I defer that to God the Father. Those places are going to go to those people who it's been prepared for. Great answer. So let's talk about this intriguing response. And so two ideas to kind of push back kind of brings out which God's word will always do, the smelling salts. When we're crazy and we get self-absorbed and we can't see anything can't hear the Lord. And if you can't hear the Lord, because they clearly can't hear him. If you can't hear air traffic control and you're trying to get through the fog of your life, but you're going to crash. He's saying, pull up, terrain, pull up, terrain, pull up. But they don't hear anything because we already decided what we want. Say yes, say yes, say yes. So he has to push back two ways, and both of them fail. Jesus tries to course correct, and they fail. I wrote down for me, oh, my Lord, save me, that when I set my heart on something that is not God's will, that I want really bad, even Almighty God cannot persuade me out of it. He can't. He's going to fail here. And trust me, it's not because he's not able to convince you or have the power. It's because you have decided, I don't want to hear it. I want to do things my own way. There's no help for you. There is no help for you. That you have cut the only lifeline your soul had. Because you want what you want. And Jesus himself standing in front of you, God in a body, speaking God words with God power, 
is going to be deflected because they said, say yes, say yes, say yes. We want it so bad. Please. Sorry. No backing up, no apologizing, no humility when he says, listen, first of all, let me just tell you, you're clueless, you're off track, the whole question is faulty, the foundation is wrong, you're coming from the wrong place. And there's a pause there, but you don't see it because they're not thinking, they're not shifting, they're not thinking, they're, uh, Jesus sees it's not going anywhere, right? No backing up, no humility, no apologizing, nobody's saying, oh, we don't know what we're talking about. Okay, well, first of all, sorry, Lord, and sorry, guys, because Jesus, the Son of God, who we've been with for 24-7, for three and a half years, just told us the question's completely off. So let's just take a new line somewhere, right? No, no, no. Let's, let's just stumble right over this because say yes, say yes, say yes. We're gonna get what we want no matter what. So... Jesus says, look at this response now. He says, can we change the subject back to me and what I'm about to do? Because the Holy Spirit knows if a self-absorbed soul will take a look at what the Son of God will is about to endure, in our case, endured on our behalf, that who he is and what he did, the bloodied cross will always pop the bubble of pride and get you off your white horse syndrome. If you can just refocus James and John from your own glory in heaven and everybody clicking, wanting to get a selfie with James and John in heaven. If you can get out of that mindset to me and what I'm about to do by dying for the sins of the world, spit in my face, he says. Doesn't that change the equation for you? Doesn't it soften your heart? Doesn't it make you want to say, oh, fellas, oh, we're so sorry for stepping on all of your heads for our own advantage. And Lord, you are the only one who deserves our praise. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you. All praise and glory to you for what you're going to do and accomplish. That could have happened. That's what Jesus was hoping when he says, do you want to compare your glory to what I'm about to do? That's what he's saying. Can you die for the sins of the world? Are you going to have people spitting in your face and flogging you and putting every last sin from every last soul on your shoulders to endure the wrath of God? This is kind of what he's saying. Can you walk with me at the cost of your life? And all of that shame and torture, can you do that? And they say, yes, sir, we can. They're not even thinking because they want what they want. They want what they want. There's no dealing with somebody who's already made up their mind and playing games and all of that. They say, we can. When someone's self-absorbed, <laughs> they always think, always, and one writer said, they always think they're more skilled, they're more smart, they're nicer and more devoted than they actually are. That's what they say. We can, we can. Peter was filled with himself on that day at the table. Jesus talking about betrayed. He says, listen, he stands up. He says, if they all fail you, I will never fail you. And then the Bible says, and they were all saying the same thing. 
And Jesus said, that's actually not true. Because before a rooster crows three times, you're going to deny even knowing me. We can. We can. All of this. No, we can't. What were we thinking? We can't. We can't do anything. We can't tie our shoelaces without you. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus has to tell us, you guys can't do anything unless I help you. Oh, no, we got this. We got this. Die for the sins of the world with you? Yeah, we can. What's so hard about that? All we care about is that when it's all said and done, that the spotlight is on A, me, B, my brother. Joe, I've got a problem with that. And they did. They did. No asking for forgiveness. Nothing. So let's, let's look at the casualty now in the lesson, the ironic lessons as Jesus has to deal with them. Final Wrapping up, when the 10 heard about this, they're undone with James and John. Jesus has to call them together and say, check out the world. Look at the world and look at how they do things. That's not great in God's eyes. If you want to be great in God's eyes, you're going to have to learn another way. It's called humility. It's called other-centeredness. It's called deferring to somebody else. That's what makes somebody really great. And so here's the irony here, and we wrap up and take communion. The irony, of course, is we, <laughs> the kingdom of God has been called the upside-down kingdom because it's, in many ways, the polar opposite to the values in this world. For example, the way to greatness is decreasing our egos, not bossing people around, but serving them in love. So in order to live, Jesus says, come die with me. And in order to find your true self, you lose the self that has nothing to do with God or his commands. And you find your true self when you come under submission to the Lord. And if you want to get, you give. You see? And what do you do with people who hate you? You love them. So it's upside down and inside out, but it works. And here's one of the, the extreme examples. He says, if you want to be great, then consider others more significant than yourselves and regard everybody in the room better and you are their servant. Now, it does not mean that we kind of uh, do away with the social constraints of uh, you know, a parent and a child or a boss and an employee or those kinds of things. He's saying that whatever station in life you have in your heart, uh, the humility to exercise any authority that you do have, and God puts people and, climb, and causes Christians to climb the ladder of success out there in the world, but they do so in a different way. A, it's not their goal, necessarily. Their goal is to honor and serve Christ, and wherever Christ puts them on any ladder, right? But once you're on the ladder, whatever ladder you're on, and you're all on a ladder, that whatever influence and authority or honor that you have, you're doing it as unto the Lord in love, in humility, as a servant to their best interest, not for your own personal gain or glory. So the 10 of them are mad. Peter is indignant. Nathaniel's up in arms. Judas is throwing a hissy fit, as usual. 
Simon is harumphing. Thomas and Matthew have their noses out of joint. And I have written down here, please, please, fellas, spare us the drama. All right, yes, it hurts when somebody in the room says, I'm better than all of these losers. Yeah, that hurts a little bit. I thought we were friends. You know, but actually I see all you wanted was positions one and two. You don't care about us. You threw us all under the bus. That was nice. Yes, I can understand that. But they're all guilty of the same thing. And they've been nailed. As I alluded to earlier in the message, they've been nailed on more than one occasion. All of them saying the same things, fighting over who was greatest. So the only thing they're really mad about is that these two brothers, as I said, kind of beat them to the punch, right? How dare you guys get in there before I got a chance to ask for the position? That's the kind of thing that's going on. Now, I just praise God for his long-suffering. I look at the, the squabbling at the Last Supper, the sleeping while he says, hey, I'm under so much pressure right now, I could die, he said in the Garden of Gethsemane. He tells them, I'm, I'm under such a weight, I could die right now. Could you pray with me? And they go to sleep. He tells them, I'm about to die at the table earlier, right? No, later, at the table, I'm about to die. And what do they do? They, 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 and an argument breaks out. Which one is the greatest? And then when he needs them, they all abandoned him. This is a gospel that says, in spite of who you are, that God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, helpless, hopeless, at odds with him, enemies, that's when he shines. He says, you're at your worst. Look at you. You guys couldn't do anything to help, ever. But you know what? That's okay. I'm not trying to rub your nose in it unless, of course, you have a problem like James and John who just think you're all that. You're not all that. Jesus is all of that. And true life is coming to acknowledge him as Lord and you, your rightful place, his humble servant and everybody else's humble servant as well. That's really what he said. They're indignant. Our sins look especially terrible on other people, right? So the very things you do that are obnoxious when you're driving down 101, oh, you let people know how terrible they are when they do the very thing that you've done before, right? Husbands and wives all the time. All the time I hear. Well, let me, off the top of my head. The wife will say, you know, he doesn't thank me. He's just... He's just quiet. He doesn't say anything like, thank you for the meal or thank you that you did a good job here. You did a good job there. And sometimes I'll say, well, what's the last time? Just tell me a couple ways that you thank him. Crickets. <laughs> crickets. And, and she wasn't thanking him with the crickets, all right? Right. And so I said, uh, is this true? And she, she says, I said, do you thank him when he comes home at the end of the long day? He's out there slaving away doing something that he particularly doesn't care to do, maybe. Because why? Because he, he loves you and he wants a good life for you. Have you thanked him for working? Well, no. Well, why are you castigating him 
for the very thing that you failed to do in the marriage. And that's how we operate when we get our heads all filled up with pride. And that's what the guys are doing. How could you, in light of what Jesus just said, you show him no sympathy? That's what they're saying. I don't know how he puts up with us, but he does. And, uh, and I'm glad he does, amen? Well, here's what he says. He says, take a look at the world, fellas, the Romans who occupy and so that you guys are infected by this worldly thing that, you know, to be great, you gotta have paparazzi and a long stretch limousine. You know, that's how we are. We, we get sucked into it, the Hollywood, the elite, the, you know, he's got nine million followers and oh, that's greatness, that's greatness. A stretch limo, the, the likes I've never seen. I was out to lunch with my Zach, as opposed to the other Zach. Well, they're both my Zachs, I guess. Zach Reinman, biological. <laughs> and we're at Oliver's, and this longest, shiniest, blackest limousine pulled up. I'm like, wow, they want something from Oliver's? <laughs> But everybody was like trying to like, oh, this isn't a big deal. Who, who could be in there trying to see into the windows who that important, glamorous, great person is, right? That's how we are. And Jesus says, could you just look a little closer? Do you really want to be like those Hollywood scandals, the political corruptions? You really want to marry into the royal family? Have you read the papers? <laughs> There's a lot of pain, loneliness. The princess of Wales was in a palace throwing herself down the stairs because how miserable it was to be married to a prince and living in a palace. She wanted to die because the lie was if you marry a prince and live in a palace and make a lot of money and everybody's taking your picture wherever you go, princess, die, that's greatness. And she got there and said, that's a lie. So Jesus just saying, I want you to think the next time you're acting like them, and thinking that's the way to live, look a little closer than bossing everybody around, using their power to oppress, to hurt, to gain. Whether it's Hollywood or Royal Palaces or Washington, scratching and clawing to get the first place there to be seen in the camera, all of that. He says, listen, here's what I want you to do. Verse 45 is the key to the book of Mark and probably the whole Bible. He says, even I, who am God in a body, I didn't come to be served. I didn't come like that. I came down a ladder to the bottom where they stripped me and put all your sins on me. It wasn't convenient for me, but it's what you guys needed. And that's what servants do. They lay aside what's good for them and convenient for them and what they would want to do. But no, I'm, I'm not here about me. I'm here about what's the biggest need with you. And your biggest need was needing a sin bearer. So he says, I came to pay your ransom as a servant, right? So a ransom is, if you want to see Johnny alive, you will pay the following ransom. 
So it's like the devil saying, if you want to see this person in heaven, somebody's going to die. And that's why death came to you. They're going to have to die. So he says, well, I'll die for them. I'll pay the ransom, but I'll need a body. Because the ransom is in blood. Payment for payment. Life for life, death for death. So I need a body. So he pours himself into a womb, Mary. And out comes the God-man says, here I am to serve. And he says, I'm not doing my will. I'm doing the Father's will. In fact, in the garden, when he says, the cup and the baptism of suffering come upon him, he says, this isn't what I want necessarily. And if you can take it away, take it away. But I'm here as a servant. And he goes to the cross humbly. So I've got a question for you. He says, look at me. Look at me. Are you greater than me? What are you on a high horse about when I'm hanging on a cross for the sins of the world? Let me show you the, just the picture of the thought. The, how did he go from the palaces of, of heaven? He says, for even the Son of Man came down. He's saying he came. We don't say, well, I came here. We just showed up here. <laughs> but he's God. He's eternal. He's the one who can say, I came. For the following words, how do, just track with me, brothers and sisters, how does God, the eternal God, the Lord of the universe, go from only, only God himself knows the glories of heaven, but how do you go from sitting on a throne, ruling the universe with 10,000 times 10,000 angels at your beck and call to do your will? How do you go from that place to saying, I decided to pay a ransom and become a slave and pour myself into one of their bodies so that I can do things like wash dirty feet. How? The, the, uh, the servant was the lowest person in the house, and the reason they didn't want to wash the feet the servant was missing was because they'd be admitting they weren't the greatest. So Jesus says, come on, you guys. I'll do the job nobody else wants to do. I'll be delighted to do it. And God in a body is washing their smelly, dirty feet. And he says, I'm doing this as an example. He says, you call me Lord, you nailed it. I'm the Lord in a body. And I'm washing your dirty feet as a slave. And you will be so happy if you would adopt this attitude. You will be happy to be my servant and the servant of everybody. If you can carry that with you into your life and elevate them and God's purposes rather than yourself, then those who humble themselves, will he will lift up. But those who exalt themselves, he will cast down. So how do you go from the table of dirty feet to this? How? 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 How can I assert myself? How, how can I walk around like, look at me, look at me? How can I not forgive somebody when he says, hey, unless you forgive others, yeah, I'm not going to forgive you. How can I hold grudges? How can I harden my heart in an, a debate or an argument with somebody? He says, Look at me the next time you're having a hard time with pride versus humility. 
This will heal every marriage in here. Well, as far as it depends on you, I understand there are some complications. But on your end, listen, I'll tell you something that'll lighten things up a little bit, all right? Last night, we're out to dinner, and all of this is in my head because I have to carry this with me, right? Which is a good thing for me and better for my wife. <laughs> so we're sitting at dinner last night, and the waitress says, well, which one? we're splitting a meal. So which one is which side or whatever it is? And I was starving. The little bit of breakfast, I had nothing the whole day. And ah, uh, I couldn't wait. And I really, really, really wanted this one thing, right? And so, and I know she kind of likes it, but it's not her favorite. And I said, let's do this. And I saw the look on her face, disappointment, right? And she just said, okay, let's do that. And I just, and I just felt like the Lord was doing you know, you, you, you're going to be preaching this tomorrow. And I'm like, does this count with food? <laughs> so she goes, no, that's okay. Do your thing. And I said, no, we'll have this thing. And I'm telling you what, it was so difficult. And then I started thinking in the car, if it's so difficult to be other-centered, over a dinner item. How about when you really have to do the work to forgive a real offense of some kind, to be other-centered where it really, really matters? What is wrong with us? I'm sorry, what is wrong with me? <laughs> That's what you were all looking at me like. <laughs> We, we always order what our spouse wants. <laughs> know what your problem is, right? Oh, man. I know it's hard, but we need to follow our Lord's example. And so with that, we're going to pray. Now, Father God, we thank you for your great love. And Lord, we confess that we've fallen short. We're... The default mechanism in my heart is me, myself, and I. And Father God, if I'm not actively pursuing otherwise, my heart goes back to me. What do I want? What's best for me? So please fill us with the Holy Spirit. Forgive us of our sins. And let us remember... All the glory goes to you, and we are but your humble servants. In Christ's name, amen, amen. Well, I've got some good news for you, that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I hope, dear listener, that you were tagging some of the ways that need to come under the blood of Jesus and some attitudes that need alignment. Communion's a powerful time. You will leave this place different. You can. You really can. Let's apply the truth. Now, the ushers are coming forth. They're going to serve you. They're going to serve you what you just looked at as a meal. To just say, what, what I just looked at, I consumed inside of me. It keeps me alive, that picture of my Lord. If you are not a part of the church, but you're a believer in the Lord, 
you're welcome to join us. If for any reason you're uncomfortable, uh, simply decline being served. Not a problem at all. If you're not a Christian, you shouldn't take communion because it just doesn't mean anything without the inward experience of coming to Christ. Now, if you, if you want to come to Christ and you just say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I need you, save me, then take communion because it has meaning now, all right? So we're going to pray once again to prepare our hearts. We'll sing, you'll receive. The bread and the cup come together in one cup, so just one. Take the one. You'll get both there. And then I'll come back and we'll take communion and, and wrap up with the prayer. All right, Father God, now we ask you, prepare our hearts, guide our thoughts, Lord. Show us what we need to bring to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, don't misunderstand Jesus. He's not saying that we don't stand up for truth. We don't sometimes have to put people in their place or direct not let people trample over other people or ourselves for that matter sometimes. It's our attitudes. It's our hearts. It's how you take care of business. That you are a humble servant of the Most High God and you will stand and give an account how you're treating that person who's made in the image of God for whom Christ suffered and bled and died. Still have to sometimes rebuke, sometimes disagree. A lot of people see, just see this and just say, oh, well, then anything goes and everybody's more important than me and I don't have a say or a voice. Or, Oh, no, you do have a say and you do have a voice and you do have authority to influence. It just has to be grounded in humility. The blood of Christ, the love of God, the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, I want you to think of what I'm going to do, my broken body, as bread for you to keep you alive, spiritually speaking, forever. And so they ate the bread. And then it was after supper there in the upper room. He took the cup and he said, I want you to think of this cup as the new covenant, the new contract. The old contract was obey the commands or die. The new command is trust me and live. That's a better deal. And it's made possible because God is a servant of all who washes not only dirty feet, but cleanses soiled souls. Let's drink the cup. Praise the Lord for his long-suffering patience with all of us and his mercy that just got renewed right there. Amen. Let's stand and sing the closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.